Hello, and thank you for joining us for this episode of Bookable Space. I'm your host, Yvonne Battlefelton, and today we're joined by Gloria Galloway. Gloria will be reading from Amber's Way. Gloria, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Yvonne. This is wonderful. It's a wonderful opportunity. Oh, wonderful. Anytime. So we're just going to dive right in. And I'm going to ask in about a sentence or two, can you please tell us a bit about the book? Absolutely. Amber's Way is a story about childhood cancer. The narrative begins with her parents' storybook romance, her diagnosis at age four, remission, and its return at age 13. It's about a young girl's fighting spirit and her determination to live life her way. Wonderful. So where did the idea for the book come from? That's a very interesting thing. And I I get so many questions like that, but it actually started with a conversation I had with my son-in-law's father. We both grew up in Sacramento, California, United States, and he grew up in an unincorporated section of the city. One day, a deer showed up, a baby deer, and literally adopted them. She would knock on the door with her hoof to be let in. She would sleep with the children in their bedroom, and she'd race alongside them when they raced their bikes. She was just like a lost puppy, and eventually she did grow up and return to the wild, but she was the most loving animal, he said, they had growing up. So it was a wonderful, I just had to write about a deer, and that's part of Amber's story. She named her deer Jane Doe. <laughs> it's so beautiful that not only does the the deer knock on the door, but that they let the deer in, that they answer it and they let the deer in. I think that's so <laughs> beautiful. Could we have our first reading, please? Absolutely. So this is the prologue. This is when Amber is in remission from her cancer. She's five years old. And her mother and her go to Placerville, California, just before she starts kindergarten. So I'll start. Five-year-old Amber lay on her back, squinting at the clouds above the thick forest of trees that surrounded her. The funniest cloud looked like the big monkey saw the zoo. He had very long toes. They were crooked and folded one over the other, like crossed fingers behind someone's back. Amber knew what that meant. He was up to some monkey business. She laughed and wiggled her own toes, imagining what it would be like to walk on clouds and float across the sky. She went to the quiet of Placerville and the house near the woods. Right now, she heard only the sound of the wind moving through the trees. There were no bells and buzzers, and no one woke her up to take her blood or give her medicine. There were no bright lights all night long, just a nightlight in her bedroom. Best of all, there were no whispers everywhere about her cancer. Now she heard only bird songs floating in the air. She got up to go back to hostess her tea party with Mr. Fluffle her beloved Teddy, and his family. She unfolded her napkin and dabbed at Mr. Fluffle's chin before she poured him another cup of herbal tea. Mrs. Fluffle sat across from her husband on the picnic blanket with her arms wrapped around their baby named Junior. Since he showed no interest in the chocolate chip cookie on his plate, she broke off a piece of the cookie and popped it into her mouth. Yummy, Junior, you don't know what you're missing. Her mother's voice called from the patio. Everything okay, honey? Uh-huh. We're just finishing our tea. Okay, holler if you need anything. Amber was wearing the t-shirt her Auntie Lexi gave her on the magical day 
when Dr. Beth told her she no longer had cancer. It pictured a warrior farrier with her own likeness. She was happy it still fit. She gained a lot of weight after she left the hospital. She was glad she didn't have to listen to the whispers around the bed about how skinny she was. All that was over. Now she could enjoy tea parties and trips to the beautiful forest. The days in the cabin were lazy. She and her mom were still resting a lot. Mama was on the porch swing, dozing again. Today, she said they would explore what was beyond the bend in the dirt road. So she was sure Mama wouldn't be mad if she took a short walk with Junior while she finished her nap. Amber tiptoed into the kitchen to make a peanut butter sandwich. She wrapped it in a baggie along with two cookies and dropped them into one of her mother's satchel bags. She added two juice boxes and a small blanket for sitting on the ground. Amber tucked Junior under her arm and quietly walked through the tall grasses next to the cabin. She headed for the dirt road she knew led them to the forest. She soon spied a clearing ahead ablaze with beautiful flowers. She wasn't sure if it would be okay to, to pick flowers for her mother, but maybe on their way back she would find some to bring her. The grasses were up to her shoulders. It was like being in another world. Butterflies and bees filled the air with wispy, buzzing sounds as they played musical chairs flower to flower. Amber watched them fly up and away. She followed them, squeezing Junior's hand so he wouldn't be left behind. Don't worry, baby, you're safe with me. That's what my nurses told me when I was in the hospital, that I was safe in their care. You see, they were right, and they taught me how to do the same for you. She waded through the thicker stalks of spring growth with fragrance of pollen filling the air. She whispered again to Junior, I'm all better now, I really am. Come on, let's pick some flowers for my mother and your mommy too. Soon she spotted what she was looking for, white fairy lanterns. After picking a handful, she got out the blanket and sat down with Junior to have a drink. She held the juice box to his embroidered mouth. We need to keep up our strength. Junior seemed tired and sleepy, so she didn't force it on him. Instead, she saved enough juice for their walk back. Are you all right, baby? You seem a little out of sorts. That's what my mama tells me when I get quiet and moody. Maybe we should rest. Amber lay down beside Junior, and they were soon asleep. When they woke, she was surprised to see the sun was setting. Dusk was creeping in, and a light rain began to fall. She picked up the blanket and wrapped it around her shoulders. You must be cold, baby. I'll tuck you under my shirt, and that way we'll both stay warm. Still, she shivered and trembled from the cold. She turned to head back to where she was sure the road was. I think it's this way, down this hill, because we walked uphill to get here, right, baby? As the evening deepened, she became a little worried that she was headed in the wrong direction, although she was still convinced they should be walking downhill to find their way back. Every few steps down the hill, she stopped to listen. Standing as still as she could, she shouted, Is anybody there? But only the rainfall answered, spattering against the leaves. Amber wondered what her father would do. He had been a brave warrior in a place called Iraq, where he took care of wounded soldiers. It was her turn to be brave, but how could she take care of Junior and herself? She looked around for a sheltering tree. They were all so tall, and their branches were way too high. As Amber walked on, scanning the landscape for refuge, she noticed some of the smaller evergreens had cascading branches that surrounded their trunks like big hoop skirts. Come on, baby, we're going to crawl under here. When she pushed aside the piney branches, she found the ground was surprisingly dry. It was damp only in a few spots. 
Layers of dried needles cushioned them. Despite the sheltering branches, she could stop shivering. After she took off her wet clothes and wrapped the blanket around them, she decided to spread her clothing on the branches so anyone passing would see them. Don't worry. We'll just wait here until the rain stops. Amber closed her eyes and listened to the wind and rain. For the first time, she was no longer sure they'd find their way back. She kept reminding herself to be strong and whispered, be brave, be brave, under her breath. She took out the peanut butter sandwich she'd packed and offered the nibbles to Junior. You'll stay warmer with a little food in your belly, she told him. But he had already dozed off, and she too felt sleepy. She was startled awake by the sound of a dog barking. Frightened, she moved deeper under the tree. Then she heard voices calling her name. The branches suddenly parted as she and Junior were scooped up by strong arms that wrapped them in a big, warm blanket. Amber? She nodded, too tired to speak. The man shouted over his shoulder, I've got her. Hi, Amber. I'm Deputy Scott. And this furry little guy is Pip. We're both very happy to see you. Studying her face, he inquired, Are you hurt, Amber? She was too distracted by the sound of a radio nearby to answer him. A woman's voice was repeating that she had been found. The rescuer went to Pip and gave him a treat. She patted Pip's head and praised him again and again. That's my good boy. You found her. Good dog. Good job. The deputy asked again if she was hurt. She shook her head. Her teeth chattered loudly as she replied, No, but I'm so cold. We'll soon fix that. So this must be Junior. Is he doing okay? Surprise flies concerned for her teddy. Amber held Junior up for inspection. Deputy Scott peered at him and nodded. Your mom told me about your bear family. Junior's mom and dad are going to be happy to see you too. There's an ambulance nearby. The medics are going to give you a quick checkup. Oh, how wonderful. So it's set in, yeah, I was saying Placerville, which is not how it's said. Is Could you say it again for me? Placerville. Placerville. So when I saw it and I was thinking Placerville, and at first I thought it was, um, you know, a fictional town. And then I looked it up and it, it's not, it's a, it's a real place. And so could you tell us a bit, a bit about what setting it in Placerville, California makes possible for this story? It is a very, it's very historical town full of beautiful shops and, and that's right up against the uh, Sierra Nevada mountains side mountains and uh, the forest is right there. So it was an ideal setting for Amber's way because, you know, she gets lost in the forest. It's right at, at her backyard. And I visited there many, many times. And uh, it just was ideal, absolutely ideal. Oh, that sounds wonderful. So what is it like writing a place that you know so well because you've visited and seen it and, or have um, memories and stories there? What's that like? It makes it easier. When you write about a fictional place, you have to, you know, come up with things. Or, and if you talk about a shop or anything that's in the particular town, you have to, you know, make it up. In this case, everything that was there, all the shops, I knew where the forest was and it was within walking distance of this cabin. It made it so much easier. And I love Placerville. So I think that comes out in, in writing about it. Well, that's wonderful. Could we have our second reading, please? Yes, absolutely. So this takes place when Amber is 13 and they've her mother's just learned that the cancer has returned and uh, she has to tell her daughter 
the prognosis. Jessica heard the car pull into the driveway. She opened the front door as Amber came running up, excitement and happiness written all over her face. Hi, Mom. Avengers Endgame was the best. Of course, the blabbermouth Kev gave away the ending like he always does. She hung her backpack on the hall tree and turned. She went still. Mom? She knows, Jessica thought. Of course she knows. Baby, before she could say more, Amber cut her off. It's back, isn't it? They sat in the living room and Jessica explained the diagnosis as gently as she could. She didn't know where Amber found the strength to accept it. She, she supposed her daughter had been preparing for that eventuality most of her young life. How long? She couldn't lie much as she wanted to. Three months, maybe a little longer. But I feel fine. Beth explained that your health won't decline all at once. It will be gradual. What do you think about getting away from the city? Amanda offered us the use of her cabin in Placerville. I've always loved it there. Good. We can leave early Tuesday morning. Later that night after dinner, Amber stretched out on the sofa with her head in Jessica's lap. Mom? What, honey? I know Grandma and Grandpa will need to be told, but I can't bear the idea of a death watch. Can it be just the two of us for now? All right. I'm sure they'll understand. And can you promise me one thing? Can you promise me my last days won't be spent in the hospital? Jessica cupped her daughter's face. We'll handle this any way you say. You hear me? Whatever if you want. Jessica made the familiar drive along Highway 50 to Placerville with a heavy heart. Amber lay fast asleep in the reclined seat beside her. She knew her daughter's lack of energy was one of the first signs of her declining health. Was she wrong to take her away from the city? She thought back to when she brought up the idea of going to the cabin. Amber liked the idea. The times they visited the old mining town over the years brought back so many happy memories. She was certain it was the right move. Amber woke up as they exited the highway into downtown Placerville. We're here. I love Placerville. It's so old. I think the word you're looking for is historic. Yeah, historic. You think they still have those free stagecoats, right? We can find out easily enough. While Amber craned her neck to take in the sights, Jessica's mood lightened. Mom, look, there's that saloon with the hanging man. It's all boarded up. Do you think it's closed down? No, I heard the hangman's tree is being renovated. Did you know that that statue went missing once? What happened? Did they have to make another statue? Nope, someone found it. The owner had it repaired and rehung it. That's so cool. Jessica handed her phone to Amber. Honey, can you open my email and find the message from Amanda? It's got directions to the cabin. Amber scrolled through the emails. Mom, did you see the street address? No, I didn't. Why? 5539 Dead Possum Lane. What? Oh, honey, I have no idea. She watched helplessly as Amber turned her face to the window, her shoulders shaking. Could be worse, Amber said without turning. What? Could be dead and lame. Jessica re realized her daughter's shoulders were shaking with laughter, not tears. She qu quickly got into the spirit of it. Or demise lane, departure lane, moribund lane. <laughs> they laughed so hard, Jessica was afraid she might run someone down. She pulled into a grocery store parking lot. Good place to stop. We're going to need supplies. 
It turned out Dead Possum Lane was a dead-end lane. More laughter as they spotted the road sign. They left their bags and supplies in the car while they explored the surroundings. There was a wood deck around the rear of the cabin, an old porch swing and an umbrella table with a couple of ad iron deck chairs sat in the middle. Amber headed directly for the swing. The contraptions creaked and strained with every movement. I called dibs on this swing, she announced. It's been sitting here waiting and rusting for just for me. Jessica eyed the chairs and winced. They were traditional in the rustic setting, but didn't look real comfortable or inviting. Okay, come on, let's check out the inside. They let themselves in and Jessica was immediately drawn to the Pentagon-shaped window. The view was spectacular. The other striking feature of the great room was the logs in the ceiling. The builder had somehow managed to maintain the shape of the tree in its original form. The decor, however, screamed 1960s retro, although Jessica suspected the chrome metal dining table and red vinyl chairs were not original pieces. Regardless of this, she found the furnishing charming. Amber piped up beside her, Mom, this furniture is... As if on cue, they both quoted Lexi's favorite saying, It was ugly then, and it's ugly now. Their laughter echoed through the rafters. Amber fingered the doily. I kind of like it. She picked up a remote control from the coffee table. This looks state-of-the-art, though. If that makes you happy, have a look at what's in the console. Amanda said, enjoy ourselves. Wonderful. I love that there's a balance of humor as well, even while we're worried about Amber and we're getting to know her as a character and her family. So my final question that I get to ask for the book is a percentage of the proceeds from Amber's Way will be donated to the Children's Neuroblastoma Cancer Foundation in Bloomingdale, Illinois. Can you tell us a little bit about the organization, what they do, and your decision to donate a percentage of the proceeds from the book? Yes, absolutely. I was researching cancers. I knew that that was the subject I wanted for the story. And, uh, of course, leukemia was top of the list for children's cancer. Brain cancer was a close second. But neuroblastoma comes in third with regard to children's cancer. And it's so little, so little is known about it. I knew nothing about the, that particular uh, disease. And while I was researching it, I came across an article that talked about a treatment. And it's called MIBG treatment. And what it is, it, it is so radioactive that children have to be, it has to be administered in a leaded concrete room. So I thought this would make such an interesting read. But as I got to read more about this particular children's cancer, I just, it became so much more about the children and the disease itself. So I was looking up different uh, foundations and, and cancer and research, and I came across the founder's name is Pat Talungan. And I picked up the phone, you know, and I called and I thought, okay, I'll get a hold of a, an administrator and maybe ask for some brochures and ask a little bit about the, the uh, organization. And Pat herself answered the phone. And I was like so taken aback because for a moment I didn't even speak. And she said, hello, is someone there? I said, I'm so sorry. I did not expect to get you on the phone. Well, she says, oh, I'm kind of the chief cook and bottle washer. <laughs> so our connection was immediate. It was so funny because as we talked for almost an hour 
And as we talked at one point, she said, you know, Gloria, not much of a reader. And I said, Pat, you never tell an author you don't like to read. And as the conversation went on, uh, she said she's a mathematician. I said, oh, Pat, I hate math. <laughs> she, Gloria, you never tell a mathematician you don't like math. So I learned that Pat lost her 10-year-old son, Nick, to uh, neuroblastoma. And uh, she told me about her family. She told me about oh, this terrible disease that these children, you know, it's heartbreaking, absolutely heartbreaking. And uh, I just knew that I wanted to help somehow. And it was so important for me to get it right. And she helped me understand, you know, what the process of what they go through losing a child. I, it was unimaginable. It's unimaginable to me because I have two daughters and one of them had us, we had it scared because there was a lump in her throat. And uh, yeah, I couldn't imagine how I could bear it and how I could get through it. So she helped me understand that. And as I read more about the foundation, it's just, she is so dedicated to helping families get through the most terrible times of their lives. And I was, I was just so impressed by the work they do that I knew I wanted to help in some way. And, and the, this percentage, I'm so happy to be able to do it. Yeah. So it sounds beautiful. And thank you so much for telling us about the organization. Yeah. Could we have our final reading, please? Yes, of course. Okay, so this final reading introduces Jane Doe, <laughs> the orphan deer. A couple of days into July, saw Amber's spirits wan along with her stamina. She rarely ventured beyond the immediate vicinity of the cabin and missed her daily chats with Jane Doe. To her surprise, after only a couple of missed eats, Amber woke from a nap on the swing to find her little friend standing at the edge of the patio. Amber slipped down and cautiously approached her. She slowly held out her hand, ready to pull back if Jane Doe spooked. When she stood perfectly still, Amber gently stroked her head. She spoke softly to her. I guess you missed me too, huh? Will your mommy find you here? She asked, although she suspected the deer was an orphan. Amber sat on the raised wood patio and dangled her legs over the edge, ignoring the prickles of the rough lumber against her skin. It's got to be hard for you out here all alone. Just so you know, I would adopt you in a hot New York minute. But first, I'm pretty sure it's against the law. And second, I'm not going to be around for much longer. And I'm not talking about going home from my vacation. I mean, I'm literally not going to be around for much longer. Out of the corner of her eyes, she glimpsed her mom standing at the open slider. When she retreated, Amber continued, Sorry to bother you with all this, but what are friends for, right? If you want to bail, I understand. Or you can just tune me out and go to sleep. I won't know the difference since you can nap with your eyes open. I read about that on the internet. When Jane Doe didn't move, Amber nodded. Okay, then. I've been spending a lot of time looking up dying. I won't bore you with the details. I like the idea that I'll get to see my dad. He died before I was born, so I never knew him. Heard a lot of stories, though. I'm told I'm a lot like him. She poked her cheek. The dimples for sure. I'm an Aries, too. Aries are known to be excessively positive, if you believe in that sort of thing. Amber plucked the thread in the seam of her jeans. 
My favorite story about my dad is how he talked mom into holding a conversation with him on the phone when he called the wrong number. Want to hear what his favorite saying was? Jane Doe restfully plod the ground. I'll take that as a yes. Anyway, he called it the wrong number and the right connection. Yeah, cheesy, but sweet, right? I've heard mom's side of the story. I kind of like the idea of getting dad's side of it. Amber reached up again, running her fingers through the fur on Jane Doe's foreleg. Want to know something else? I'm scared. She leaned her head against Jane Doe's neck and closed her eyes. I'm really scared. When the sun had dipped below the tree line, later that evening, a loud thump sounded from the patio slider. It was hard enough to rattle the blinds. Jessica's hand reached out to stop Amber from investigating. She went into the kitchen and flipped off the light while simultaneously illuminating the patio. She peered out the window above the sink. To find the cause of the disturbance, she moved to the slider and reached for the wand to move the blind back. What on earth? It's Jane Doe. Really? They both stared out the deer, too stunned to move. Amber recovered first and reached for the lock candle, flipping it up and pushing the slider open. Unperturbed by the two humans staring open-mouthed, Jane Doe proceeded to step inside. Jessica looked at the deer, then at her daughter. Has she done this before? No, I swear. She's never come closer than the edge of the patio. What are we going to do? Well, I don't want to scare her away, and I don't think we can force her out if she gets stubborn. Let's leave the slider open. Maybe she'll go back out on her own. Put that bowl of fruit in the fridge. We don't want her trying to eat it. Let's go into the living room. And what? Act natural? Pretend like this isn't the most bizarre thing ever? Jessica nodded. Yeah, something like that. Jessica moved to the recliner. Amber perched on the edge of the couch. They tried to ignore the elephant in the room. It was a stalemate, long enough that Jessica picked up a magazine and Amber reached for her phone. She pretended nonchalance that she scrolled the internet for articles about deer behavior. They were both startled when they heard the clicking sound of hoofs coming closer. Suddenly, Jane Doe came around the end of the couch to the center of the room to lie down, her leg, tucking her legs under her. Amber looked at her mom. Now what? We should call the ranger station. One look at her daughter's face told her what she thought of that. Jessica was torn. Calling them was the right thing to do, but she knew it would break Amber's heart. The baby deer was her biggest source of comfort right now. Okay, let's look at this from a practical standpoint. Like what? I'm pretty sure there are no handbooks about this kind of thing. If she sleeps in here, is she going to wake us up to let her go outside? Amber couldn't help it. She tried to hold the laughter in, but it bubbled out. No, but what about installing a dog door? <laughs> Very funny. Mom, I'll sit up for a while. I'm not sleepy. Besides, I like hanging out with Jane Doe. She never contradicts me or tells me what to do. Back to Hollywood for you. Apparently, stand-up is your shtick. It would work if my sidekick, Jane Doe, is willing to make an appearance. I don't think she'd like flying, though. Jane Doe, who'd been immobile throughout the conversation, luckily ended the debate. She got up and made her way to the slider without as so much as a buy your leave. Oh, Gloria, where can we buy Amber's Way? Well, it's available, of course, on Amazon, both paperback and Kindle. 
version and uh, also on Barnes and Noble and other sites like that. So, and it'll be available on Tuesday, uh, February 20th, just a couple days away. So hard to believe it's that close after all this time. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Well, happy publication day. And thank you so much for being my guest and a happy belated birthday. Thank you. Today's actually uh, would have been my mother's birthday, the day after my birthday. My sister was always so jealous of that. <laughs> thank you for having me, Yvonne. And thank you for being my guest.